What's going on? Welcome to The People's Show. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Bick Nazar, Josh Elliott-Wolf, Victor, Dom, running the show behind the glass. And you, the people. Texting into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, 650-650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center. Or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Feature heavy on a Friday, heading into the weekend. On a loss. We're heading into the weekend on a loss. Five-game winning streak. Done. RIP structure. We hardly knew ye from... February 18th, 2023 to March 15th, 2023. Is that why they lost? They didn't have structure last night? It's over now. Or they got outstructured. They got outstructured? Yeah. By a building, in a building with no structure, they got outstructured. Maybe that's why. They were like, oh man, 5,000 people here. The Canucks only win when there's 10,000 plus. Arizona, like sneaky good at home. Really talking, good at home. We were talking about this at uh, on the post game show. Uh, there's this idea that like, you know, they're a bit of a joke franchise right now, and yeah, like they they have serious issues. But this year at home ice, if you're going into Mullet Arena, you better be ready. Like you need the business in the front if you're going to win in Mullet <laughs> Arena. You, yeah. you you cannot be partying. There's got, no party at Mullet Arena. They're top ten in the league. On home ice, mm-hmm. per points percentage. They haven't played a lot of games, uh, but th- th- they've had to catch up because they started the season on the road. Yeah, I think it was like 20 of the first 24 yeah. on the road. They're 19-11-3, which is good for a 621 points percentage, which is good for 10th in the league. Better than the Dallas Stars, central leading Dallas Stars. Better than the Rangers, the team you planted a flag on. I was like, yeah, they're going to be great in the playoffs. Home ice advantage in the desert right now is real. Maybe it's the uh, it's the college atmosphere. Pushing them through. They're like, wow, this brings me back to my, because there's so many like just random guys on there. Yeah. Some old ones being like, this brings me back to my youth. Like Travis Boyd. Yeah. Fountain of youth at home. I'm going to score two goals for the yeah. second time in his career. Both times this year. Uh, 650, 650. If you want to chime in uh, what happened yesterday, Rick Tockett chopped it up to uh, not being ready. Which, were they sharp? No. They seem ready, though. But they scored the first goal. They were getting a bunch of power plays in the first. Got to earn those power plays. It's, it's not just launching the puck over the glass mm-hmm. or running to the goalie or something like that. They hookings and trippings and roughing. Like, they... Other penalties. Got those... Like, they there were workmanlike penalties. Yeah. And Rick Tockett said, eh, weren't, weren't ready to play. We And it's a, a phrase in the... We've heard quite often, especially across coaches, yes. not just Rick talking. This is three coaches now, with by and large the same group. But I, I'm not sure I totally agree with Rick Tockett's assessment of last night's game. For me, like you had your chance to put away the game early, and you gave Arizona a sense of belief after killing all those penalties and tying the, the game late in that first period. It comes down to the power play. They didn't convert. And maybe you can say, hey, the power play wasn't ready to execute. But execution and being ready to execute are two different things to me. And they didn't execute last night. And suddenly, 
uh, this conversation of the power play, for me, uh, gets to reinvent or has to reinvent themselves because we're living in a post-Bull Horvat on the power play world. And how will they adjust? Now, when it started, you know, there was a couple of games, but then they, for the first two weeks, they went six for 21 on the power play and it was fine. But without basically, Bo, you mean? Without Bo, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the that would be seven games without Bo, eight games without Bo. It went six for 21. Fantastic returns. Good job. After that, basically the St. Louis game onwards, uh, they are now five for 33. Uh, in total, since Horvat trade went down it's been 18 games the vancouver canucks do have a 20.4 percent power play which is good for right in the middle of the league 16th not bragging not falling behind right there in that meaty middle uh now they're 16.7 net power play because they've given up shorthanded goals which is tied for 19th and going into next season we're talking about making this push, making this team better? Is it going to be structure? Is it going to be internal improvement? One of the other things it has to be is the power play has to be sharp. So we're living in a post-Horvat world. A new power play identity is going to have to be created because he's man in the middle and he's been so successful at it for a couple of years. What do you want to see the post-Horvat power play look like? 650-650. So last night, I think they were doing some things that I do want to see from the power play. A lot more movement and getting the defenders moving. But, we saw that for seven, eight games yeah, after the Horvath but, trade, and it looked like, cool. Yeah. They're trying something. But it's not working. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I almost wonder if they're just too they, – they don't seem to be taking enough shots. And one, one thing I saw last night was Kuzmenko was in the, the normal Miller spot mm-hmm. on the half wall, and I feel like there were opportunities where he maybe could have sh- taken a shot a couple times and passed on that. And so maybe that's that's an avenue where if Kuzmenko gets a little more comfortable shooting from that spot, that's a way they can try to create a little more. Pedersen, I think also, sometimes you just got to take the shot, man. Like Hurt someone. It's okay. Yeah, it's, okay. it's okay. They might block it. Next time, they're going to be scared of blocking it. That's a them problem, not a you problem. Yeah. Um, Besser was in the bumper spot. I mean, so here's the thing. He had some chances. I, I've wanted to see Brock Besser in the bumper for so long, going back three, four years. Mm-hmm. I was always under the impression that Elias Pettersson would run the power play. That, not a thing. So it's harder to get the puck to Brock Besser in the middle. But we saw a little bit JT Miller going to that side and now passing from what well, we traditionally have seen Miller pass to Horvat. Now it's Miller into Besser. We saw a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. He got the one chance, put it off the post, but had to make the play pretty quickly. But in general, the one thing that was stood out to me yesterday was JT Miller spent a lot of time around the net and then trying to move up towards the wall. That to me is a new wrinkle, obviously. We, we don't see enough. Usually JT's just static along the one side, comes downhill and shoots or passes uh, into the slot. But JT moving around now to me is a necessary part of what this future of this power play is going to look like. Because I think him at the net makes a lot of sense too yeah i i think that's that should be a bigger part of his game and a bigger part of the power play as well because he's he should be capable of doing that and then it also gives you the option like we saw last night of of kind of going out to where Pedersen is if things start to rotate mm-hmm. and being the setup man because we all know how good of a facilitator he is my my big question is are they just missing like because Besser 
theoretically should be able to have that shot in the bumper spot. And we've seen Beauvillier get an opportunity there as well. And it started well and then hasn't been as good. Well, I I wonder if the Beauvillier thing is just comfort because it's a lefty in there. Yeah. And you don't really have anyone else other than maybe Mikheyev when healthy. Sure. That could be there. But I I just think the the way everything works with the lefty in that middle spot, it, it just fit like a glove to where they were previously. And now... You're having to put some work in, and when you start shifting things and doing the movement, which we all want to see, why it doesn't work for Bavillier, maybe to me is four lefties on there makes it really complicated to get more immediate shots in transition or quick passing plays to turn into shots. They really struggled to move the puck quickly and shoot it quickly. Like that Kuzmenko goal the other day, we don't see that often mm-hmm. for... The quick passing, well, Lannan, Besser, Garland, Kuzmenko, all cashing in on a play like that. When you try to integrate Besser, yes, you get another right-handed shot in there. And yeah, there are a couple of more shots, but you're now changing everything about the power play of where it's running from. And I just wonder if the, the handedness on the power plays has led to some issues. And do you think that maybe they should be more willing to use Pedersen as a as a playmaker because if you want to have two righties on the power play I still think Miller's ideal spot on the power play I know we saw him net front but I still think him on the left side is mm-hmm. is probably ideal but if you use Pedersen more as a playmaker you can still have the threat of a shot while having someone like Besser in the bumper because uh, here's the thing I, I know we, we've had this conversation of like, if you, if you give Pedersen the puck, it takes away the element of his one-timer, which mm-hmm. is so great. Hardest shot in the league, per the skills competition. Um, but we've seen now, like, when he handles the puck and he has got some time, like last night again, he's going to pick a corner. Mm-hmm. So creating the threat of the one-timer is all well and good, but why not allow him to handle the pucks because he can pick the corners, and now can he pick passes as well? He should be able to. We've seen him do it at even strength. So can you push the pressure off of him by have him having the puck and everyone trying to take up passing lanes? And now he's got the threat of a shot, pick someone out. Like That's the version of Elias Pedersen I want to see. And it just feels like there's never been an attempt to make him the primary facilitator on the power play. And I, I think for the most part that was just because Horvat was so good in the bumper spot that there was never really anyone he could pass to aside from Hughes there or going cross ice, but that's always dangerous when you're on the power play. Um, it's it's something I would like to see, but I think it would take – like I don't think they're going to solve this power play until next season. When sure. They, when they have time to work but, on a bunch of things, maybe see who else you can add in. But but now we're living in this, this post-bow world and what the power play looks like, and they need to be good. Like we sat here and said, hey, this could be better, this could be better, Demko will be better next year, all this sort of stuff. And the one thing we all say – 650-650, if you want to chime in too, is, oh, I'm not worried about the goals. The goals will come. There's a lot of s- talent there. You're absolutely right. Like, there is talent there, and they will score. But it's now 15% in the last handful of games here, the last 10 games. Yes, there are hot and cold streaks, of course. But as you try to search for this new identity, will will this be something that keeps rearing its ugly head come next year? I don't think so. I think you have so much talent there that – they're going to figure it out. And it might take a little bit of trial and error, especially through the end of this season. But I just, 
I refuse to believe that a power play with Quinn Hughes, Elias Patterson, JT Miller, and Andre Kuzmenko, plus another person, is going to struggle for long periods of time. And if it does, like, you have to... Well, we've seen teams across the league have, have struggling power plays. Like, we just look at it and say, like, how is that team having issues? Sure, but we've seen... Like, for instance, Washington's power play is t- 21st in the league right now. But we've seen this mix of players have incredible success before, even earlier in the year. And that's why it's just... It's hard to see how they wouldn't be able to figure out a way to... Just because you lost Horvat, find someone else to to fill a role in on that power play. And I I just don't think there's there's going to be a super long stretch of time. Like I don't think we're going to be talking about the power play next season and being like, man, they're bottom seven in the league. Because I just I think the talent on the but will they ever the solve? Will yeah, overcome. Will they ever solve the hot and cold streaks? That's the thing. No, but the power play. Every power play is hot and cold. In the league, aside from like super elite power plays, like McDa- Edmonton's power yeah. play is always good because McDavid and Drysaddle, with one less player on the other team out there, they're gonna figure it out. And ideally, Pedersen, Hughes, and Miller should be able to do the same. I just think they need some more help system wise, as far as like they need to have a plan going into a power play, whereas McDavid and Drysaddle maybe don't need that as much because Manko has helped obviously a great deal uh being a right-handed shot around the net and cashing in a bunch of, again last night man he's gonna break 40 this year and going into next year I was making the point last night that there's all this worry of what Kuzmenko's shooting percentage is going to be like which is totally valid mm-hmm. as it stands right now 27.9 shooting percentage that is real high <laughs> it's abnormal uh, but one guy that a lot of fans love, he's in the ring of honor, like Alex Burroughs, his peak scoring years, 2008 to 2012, he basically lived at 16%. He was 9%, nine and a half the year before, 9.3 the year after of that stretch, and there was 4.8, 12.4, 6.7, 10.5, but it the four-year stretch, when he was at his peak goal-scoring powers from age 27 to age 30, it was 16%, 16 16.7, 17.1, 14.1%. That's where he lived. And I don't necessarily recall as many conversations back then of, well, the shooting percentage is going to regress. I think we also didn't talk about shooting percentage as much back then. But look at the manner in which he scored a lot of those goals. You get a smart player around the net, they'll convert empty net opportunities. And Andre Kuzmenko just finds himself with a lot of empty net opportunities right now. All the other types of goals, we can wonder if that will continue. But he is so smart at timing when to get to the right spot, presenting an option for the passer to hit him, and making sure he, he buries these chances. And like this is the sort of stuff that I just feel like he's going to get 10 naturally. And if he starts shooting more, then yeah, like he might only get 14 elsewhere. But if you just increase your volume, these opportunities, the way they keep presenting themselves for Andre Kuzmenko, I'm less worried about the total volume of goals if even the shot, uh, the shooting percentage comes down to 18%. Yeah. And, and I think part of the shooting percentage coming down next season, if it does, well, it 
it very likely will just because it's so so high right now but it's um if it does come down a bit i think next year it's just because he's taking more shots which i think is something that he could do because right now it's one in four of his shots are going in which is pretty wild and and the other part of it is if he's playing with Pedersen as frequently as he is now which is essentially every game He's going to make room for you, and he's going to be the guy that can find you when you get open, like you said. And we saw it last night. Beauvillier set it up, but Kuzmenko knew when mm-hmm. to come out to the front of the net and get in a spot where— On, on a real bang-bang play. Yeah, exactly. He he is, to your point, a really smart player, and he knows how to get open. And I just think when you're playing with another really smart player like Elias Pettersson, he knows how to find you when you get open as well. So I'm not super worried about his scoring taking a big drop off, but I do think um, like the shooting percentage is going to come down. But I still think he's going to be a very productive player moving forward. A couple of thoughts coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. On our conversation about the power play, what do you want to see the power play look like in a post-Horvat world going into next year? 650-650, Curtis Oland. Power play needs to shoot. If Pedersen's one-timer is your weapon, he has to use it. As you mentioned, Josh, it's the near unwillingness to just take advantage that you have an extra man and... Make people eat pucks. There's, yeah. It's if as you, if he's trying to score the perfect goal every time, and, and sometimes you just have to... You got to go the OV method, where yeah. you are just... If you have a lane that's even kind of open... Not even that. Shot. Honestly, like, if your role on the power play is to shoot, when it comes to you, just shoot. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe he has to get used to... Well, he's been... Like, I want to say... Get used he, to being selfish? Yeah, get used to being selfish. And... I just don't know. Maybe that's not something he has in him is is being that selfish guy. But you just you have to. If this power play is going to succeed, you don't have Horvat anymore to be the number one option. Pedersen is the clear best shooter on that unit. Take more shots. Hit guys that are trying to block your shots. It's fine. Because if you take more shots, you're going to get more goals and the power play is going to be more successful. Uh, Mike and Willoughby haven't seen as many passes into the net since the Sedins. Also, uh, this one. Canucks need to do what they say and actually start experimenting. Just constantly running out power play one in a lost season. Try things in real game speed. And this one, Brendan G, I'd love to see a power play where the players aren't locked into a section of the ice. For example, PD on his one-timer side, but depending on the play, moves to the other side, cycling and playmaking. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in. 650-650. We're going to talk to Kevin Woodley in a couple of moments. Also, Ty Dunn from Go Long TD will join us in the second hour. And always, your thoughts into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, let's do a quick uh, bracket update. Let's go to Dom behind the glass. Who's uh, Dom, are, are we calling you the commissioner of our bracket? Yes, I put it together. I'm running it for everyone, so I think that would be a fair assessment. Commission Dom, uh, what's going on in the NCAA tournament right now? Well, let me tell you, it's been an exciting day for college basketball uh, in terms of matches played. Uh, Michigan State defeating USC 72-62. Tom Izzo, the Spartans. Yeah. One of my Final Four teams. Let's go. That was one of those games that uh, was kind of 50-50 for a lot of people. I also took Michigan State, not that anyone cares. Uh, Bet on the experience of a good coach. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Xavier taking down 14C Kennesaw State, 72-67. Baylor. Hey, what's Kennesaw State's uh, 
Mascot? Yeah. I don't know. An owl? Oh, the owls. Oh, that's unfortunate they lost. That's a good one. Um, You're right. It, it is. It is. Baylor is a team that a lot of teams uh, in our bracket or pool have uh, going far. They beat UNC or UC Santa Barbara 74-56. Uh, St. Mary's, Dan Riccio's favorite, beating VCU 63-51. And Marquette. The Gales, St. Mary's. 78-61. We got some games in action right now. Connecticut. Losing to Iona right now. This is uh, important for you, Bick. You've got Connecticut going all the way to the end. I, I've got them winning. Uh, Which yeah. also, uh, we were doing our conversation uh, the other day about uh, Vermonters and Utahns and everything like yeah. that. What do you think Connecticut is? Connecticutite? No, but that's pretty. That I mean, sounds good. I feel like it is that. Sounds fun. It's, it's not uh, that? Connecticutter. Oh. Oh. Or Connecticutter. That kind of makes sense. Or oh. Connecticutunisian. Uh, all right. Or uh, Nutmegger. What? <laughs> Apparently there's one of them. couple more games to get to. Uh, Creighton, NC State's close one, 47-44 for Creighton. And Iowa State trailing Pittsburgh. That's a 6, trailing an 11 seed, 38-26. to I'm going to need Iowa State to Pitt Panthers. Pitt Panthers. But who's leading the bracket right now? Do we well, have a – um, Like our, our bracket It is uh, Ben Bassrin, oh. Thomas Drantz, oh. and someone named Liam, a That's listener. Sir. Listener, listener Liam. Listener Liam. I don't want to say your last name, but Liam. Yeah. But Listener Liam. But even though that is the straight up standings right now for points scored. Max points is it's what's important. important to look at max points. Yeah. And our very own Joey Kenward is in the lead with one eighty five. Oh. Brendan Bachelor oh. is second with one eighty four along I almost... with listener Carter Braid Bradley and Chris Linden. I uh I, I I think I know Chris Linden. Um I don't want any of us to win. I want one of the listeners to win. Is that because you're not going to win? Like, you don't Probably. want yourself to win? I, I don't want to finish second with the listener above me. Hmm. Big shout out to my guy, Chris Linden. Hopefully he uh, takes down the title. All right. Uh, back in a minute with uh, Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine, In Goal Radio Podcast, In Goal Everything, and also NHL.com. Uh, back in a minute with Woodley here on the Home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. It's coming to you live from the Kintech studio during day two of March Madness. Love this time of year. Good, uh, good SNL sketch. Yeah. sketch there. Who was that again, Dom? Uh, Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. Uh, I don't know. Tim Robinson. It is Tim Robinson, and yeah. Vince Vaughn is the uh, exec that's nice. listening to this. Massive, massive. Uh, all right. Uh, keep an eye out uh, on your brackets if you're in the pool. But just let us know how your bracket is going. Basketball Phil Texas uh, text in. Uh, Kennesaw State, coached by Sharif Abdul Rahim's brother, younger brother, almost pulled off the upset. Uh, a much bigger school probably hire him, so he's on. He's on the move. Nice on the move. Uh, and this one, which uh, Snoop the Dog text in, which FN six hundred and fifty bracket would you guys give the best odds to win it all? Also, who has the, who is the worst bracket right now? Sat Satyar Shah has the worst bracket. Yeah, he uh, told me on Tuesday that he wasn't going to join, and then I coerced him to join. And then on Wednesday, he's like, oh, I, I've put in so much effort. And I was like, you're going to finish last. Yeah. So I'm not the least bit surprised. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Dodd, one point above him and second last for uh, 650 
hosts and producers. So who are we saying has the best chance? Right now, it's like theoretically. No, no, no but like it, if we were to say like one 650 host was going to be the one to win it, like Drance? Yeah, I would say so. Though his max points, I think, are lower. Host, it would be Drance because he watches college hoops like, yeah. every day. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're assuming Drance is going to win the, the bracket. Has a lot riding on it, though. He's he's the one seed, and mm-hmm. the field are like the plucky 12 seed. <laughs> we're all plucky. And we're all just like, we're going to take down the number one seed. That's that's the whole goal here. Mm-hmm. This is what he does. He plotted out the bracket, tried to help me with mine. And I was like, no, no, we're competing. And... uh he did pick UCLA to win it all. Well, they're a good team. Yeah. The Bruins. Oh, is Drance a secret Bruins fan? The Conspiracy. Look, the look Conspiracy. Just saying. Oh. Secret Bruins fan. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, yeah, he's uh, he's like Alabama, the one seed. And we are like uh, – Can we be a good – Butler Bulldogs. Princeton? The San Diego State Aztecs. That's what we are. Okay. Or uh, Princeton. Cool We're all that. Tigers. Uh, all right. Let's get to uh, Kevin Woodley. Who joins now? Kevin is in goal on Twitter if you're not already following. And from In Goal Magazine, In Goal Radio Podcast, and NHL.com. Woodley, how are you? I'm good. You? Always fantastic. Uh, are you Are you a March Madness guy? Nah, I used to be a March Madness guy. But to uh, be honest with you, I haven't paid any attention this year. I'm going to be, I'm going to out myself on this one. I'm, uh, I couldn't tell you who's playing. I haven't watched a game. I have no intention of watching a game. It's just, uh, this is what happens when life gets a little busy, kids, and all that kind of For stuff. Sure. The, the days of sitting around on the couch watching endless basketball games are, are long behind me. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into the stuff that uh, you do track and you do watch, uh, netminding across the league. Uh, what's been the reaction in the goaltending world about uh, Jordan Binnington? Oh, that's a good question. Um I think even in the goaltending world, there are certainly people that are tired of the the act uh i do think there's also been i've heard a little bit of pushback in terms of you know some of the criticism um becoming kind of personal if that makes sense guys like um you know what's wrong with this guy like sort of questioning his mental health and i'm like you know there are a lot of agitators or at least i've heard this you know pushback like hey there's like nobody asks when brad marchand was running around doing stupid stuff on a regular basis nobody was asking to check his mental health um so that i that i have a i would say a problem with but i wonder a little bit about that and other people in the goalie world wonder a little bit why why he's getting that pushback um at the same time there's an understanding that yeah it's a bit much right like like enough already so um it's kind of listen i think we've all seen the act we all sort of understand how frustrating it is um you know to sort of watch that and see that um and i get it and he's gone for two games right like he got what said what was coming to him but like he, he he you don't punch somebody with the blocker you know you're getting you know you're getting in trouble when you do that we all know it's a no-no um i may have may or may not have been tossed out of the league altogether once for doing it so um it's he went too far and the good news is i'll, I'll put a positive spin on this one the good news is is Joel Hofer got called up, and if we have ever had a chance of having two goalie goals in the same year, it'll be a year where Joel Hofer has been promoted to the National Hockey League. Kid you not, saw a video last week where he went for it three times in the same game. Missed wide once, and then hit both posts. 
So tough. Yeah. So seriously, if Hofer gets in a start here and they actually get a lead, which is a pretty big if for the St. Louis Blues these days, watch for him to go full launch on that. He, uh, I mean, this is a kid that already has in his first year pro last year a goal in the American Hockey League. If you remember the World Junior Medal, gold medal game with a one-goal lead, there was a moment there where he thought about it, um, set it up to take the shot, and then realized he had a safer outlet and made the safe pass. But, yeah, so I'm going to turn the, the Bennington stuff into a positive. We get to see Joel Hofer launch missiles at the other net if he gets the lead. Uh, we're kind of used to goalies having more of a, a calm and almost like zen-like approach to – games and, and and when they're starting but um Bennington is obviously an example of someone that plays with a little more emotion can like can goalies be successful when they're all kind of I don't want to say riled up but playing uh playing with more emotion I guess yeah I mean certainly it would be really easy to argue that he's crossed that line um and the fact that when it happens, it tends to be in these sort of lopsided blowouts probably is just as good an indicator as anything that your focus is no longer in the right spot, right? Like you can get away with it to a certain extent. I do think, and I've talked to people in the St. Louis organization and in that locker room um, about some of the instances over these last couple of years when he's done it. And I do think there's times where they're getting blown out and he's like, I'm on my way out of here and I'm going to see if I can fire up the boys on my way out. And there are times where it's worked again, you know, you can only go to that well so often and he's clearly gone to it too often. But um, there were times where that was, that was something that the blues actually didn't mind. Clearly when his coach saying time to just play goal earlier this season, we're past that. Um, But for everybody, it's a different balance point. You know, obviously it's hard to look at how he acts and think, okay, he's focused on the next shot right now. Mm-hmm. He's that next shot, next save mentality. He's managing to sustain that and maintain it. Uh, it looks like he's focused on other things, clearly. So um, I would argue that it's not a healthy sort of approach to goaltending. If you let yourself get that worked up and that carried away, and you know, obviously after that goal, that's snap-tastic. So um, it sort of goes against that whole cool, calm, collected philosophy that we like to see out of goaltenders and and yet again like I think because it's so extreme it's easy to start to criticize but when he was playing well and he and it was every once in a while I don't think we were hearing the same questions or the same complaints at least not to this degree uh you mentioned Joel Hofer uh, another uh young goalie that people are excited to see signs in Buffalo Devin Levi uh expectations of what we'll see from him, and is this the solution that the Buffalo Sabres have been looking for for so long? Yeah, I mean, it might be. Um, I love this kid's approach. I've had the chance to get to know him a little bit. Um, He spent some time up in Kelowna working with a coach I know this summer, him and Dylan Garan. I know uh, Mike Condon, the goalie coach at Northeastern, quite well. I think he's also going to be a hell of a pro goalie coach whenever he decides he wants to make the move to the NHL or start in the AHL. Former little, uh, Habs goalie, right, in Sens? Yeah, former Habs. Yeah, yeah former Habs and Sens goalie. Um, I think he had a cup of coffee at the end with Tampa, but that might have been more of a paper move. Um, and, and just a guy that really gets it. And so my hesitation, like I have no doubt that Devin Levi is going to be a really good NHL goalie. My only hesitation, the, why, the reason you hear that is, I just feel like they're putting a lot on him. Right. Um, you know, and especially, like, 
I haven't seen – I was at the rink in Abbotsford to catch up with, you know, speaking of expectations, um, to catch up with the Ontario Reign, their goalie coach, Cal Peterson, uh, you know, a guy who got the $5 million a year contract is now in being the American Hockey League for most of the year. And this is not an easy transition. Um, it's a different style game. I had Brandon Bussey on earlier this week. He's one of the top rookies in the American Hockey League uh, this year, played in the AHL All-Star game as a first-year pro. And he talked about all the adjustments tactically he had to make in the American League from college because the game was so different. And how the games he got late last season, he got five games with Providence, were a big part of him having the success that he had this year. And so, again, not having read sort of what the talk is out of Buffalo, I've certainly seen some speculation on Twitter over the past couple of days, like that he's going to be the answer and he's going to be the answer now. And that seems quick. That seems short-sighted. I have all the faith in the world in Devin Levi being an NHL goaltender and a good one. But to expect to snap your fingers and have it happen overnight, and again, I haven't heard that directly out of anyone in Buffalo. As a matter of fact, I know their goalie development coach pretty well, and that would go against everything I've heard out of him, not just philosophically, but how he's tracked and measured and has sort of a games played metric that he thinks needs to be hit as a threshold before you're ready for the NHL, before you're going to have success in the NHL. So um, I believe in Devin Levi, but I think there might be some people that want this to happen a little sooner than maybe it should. And that makes me a little bit nervous because there's a lot of focus on goaltending in Buffalo right now. And to me, they're a highly skilled, highly entertaining, highly offensive team that still hasn't figured out, especially at the top end of their lineup and those top offensive players, that there's the other end of the rink and you need to take care of it. A lot of the lessons that I see the Canucks going through under Rick Tockett here are lessons that, frankly, I think need to be learned in Buffalo. Eric Comrie was running... Uh, before he got hurt the first time, his adjusted save percentage was plus 1%. Like he was, he was flirting with top 15 in the National Hockey League, and I think his raw save percentage was in the 880s, and everybody's ready to toss him to the curb. Like he played a bunch of games when Samuelson was hurt. And if they don't have all their defense healthy, everything just kind of falls apart in their own end, and they lean on their goaltending way too heavily. So, you know, I, I see a lot of people. Craig Anderson's adjusted numbers are off the charts. Obviously, he can't roll him out there every night, um, but he's had a really good season when he does play. And yet again, I think a lot of people look at it and they're like, what are they going to do about the goaltending? And I'm like, I'm not sure you solve the goaltending until you get a better team environment in front of them. The goaltending hasn't been as big a problem as I think a lot of people make it out to be. And to throw Levi in that quickly and expect him to have the answers to it, it just seems, like I said, short-sighted. Um, let's, we'll see what happens, but you want to set up a kid like that for success, not set them up for failure. And I think right now, a lot of this season, they've set their goaltenders up for failure. Uh, obviously, you mentioned that the environment as a whole has to improve. Do you have confidence in Uko Pekalukanen kind of being the the guy there until Levi is ready? Because he's he's still 24 and should be able to have an impact at least for a few more years. Yeah, you know, and and this is this is one of my questions. Like he's had some really good stretches for sure. Um, I think when he first came up, like he stubbed his toe early, but again, that was after Comrie got hurt and when they didn't have ever, like Samuelson seems to be the key to their defense because he slots everybody else in the right spot when he's healthy. And when he's out, they miss a partner for Darlene. Like it's just, everything seems to deteriorate when he's out and he's out again. But 
uh, UPL came up, wasn't great earlier. Then he got on, got on a really good roll, and he became the guy. And I'd be honest, I look at the numbers overall, like he's got the worst adjusted save percentage of all three, and yet they keep trying to put him into that number one role. And I'm, I'm like, like, there's times where I watch it and I read about it, and I'm like, stop trying to make fetch happen here. Like this is, they keep insisting that he's the number one guy, and all the numbers I've got say arguably he's the worst of the three. So um, definitely got some question marks about the way they sort of run things there, the way they've handled things there. Um, UPL is capable for sure, but you know, to say that he's the guy and can be the guy, you need a, you need, you need at the very least a one B option. Obviously they've been running three all year, um, with Anderson Comrie and UPL, or at least for the last little while. I don't know that that's a good recipe either. The whole thing just feels unsettled and, and frankly at times, and this might not be fair, but from a distance looking in, it feels at times a little mismanaged. Talking to Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine, In Goal Radio Podcast, and NHL.com. So Matt Murray uh, has returned in Toronto. We obviously saw him here in Vancouver. Three games since his return. Samsonov has picked up a couple of starts as well. What are they going to do the rest of this way, and how 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 do you see them managing it uh, heading into the playoffs as well? Yeah, I, honestly, I don't have the answer there. It sure seems like what you hear and maybe what you're seeing. Uh, obviously, Matt missing a big chunk of time. They want to get him back up to speed to give him the opportunity to be the guy. Um, I honestly see this as a likely split in the playoffs. Uh, if we're going to have a tandem situation in the regular season, I don't. I just. I'm just not sure. I see one guy being the guy in the way they're set up there. I think this is probably going to be a situation where you need both in the playoffs. Um, you might even run them out and use, you know, use the numbers, use the splits and have Samsonov be your guy on home ice. Cause he's been really good on home ice. Like his, his home and away numbers are, are kind of crazy to look at. So maybe you use that. I don't know if it's to your advantage, but you take note of that. And it's like, Hey, we're going to ride both or we're going to need both. Maybe Samsonov's our guy on home ice, or we give him the first opportunity on home ice. And all this will depend, I guess, if they open at home or on the road. Um, I just, both guys have had strong stretches. Samsonov overall has been better on a whole this season, but Murray's had stretches where his ceiling has been higher. And I just I don't know that you have an answer between those two guys. And, and it's kind of going to depend on who's going well into the playoffs. The other part is they both have elements of their game that are, for lack of a better term, very pre-scoutable. Like there are elements and things that they do that you can really – target and go to school on and so if you're the Leafs if you're not able to prevent the types of chances that allow teams to target some of those different tendencies um, you sure as heck better be willing to flip from one guy to the other if you see it start to happen and that guy doesn't have an answer for it and so in a very long-winded way I think you're seeing both I can't tell you who's going to get the first chance but I'd be very surprised if they make it out of a round without seeing both and I know everyone's going to take that as a negative, but I'm not sure if you handle it the right way that it even needs to be approached. Like, I think you could do both on purpose and be just fine. Uh, Daniel Briere taking over in Philly, and we heard that maybe Carter Hart might be available for trade. We often talk about skaters needing a, a new change of scenery. Could that be true for Carter Hart as well? Because he, he's played well at times, but hasn't really reached the ultimate potential I think people put on him. 
I was really good at the start of the season up until this latest stretch, which kind of coincided with him coming through town here. Um, again, his adjusted save percentage was top 10 in the league, and it's kind of dipped since then, uh, sort of as they started to, to well, I guess they didn't trade away a lot of parts, but they've really started to sag as a team, and you've seen it in their own end. They've never been great defensively. But he had had a bit of a resurgence this year, so there'd probably be more value there than there has been in the last couple of years. Um, like if I'm a team looking for a, a young guy to sort of grow with a young team that I think is close to challenging, like I'd be all over Carter Hart. If I've got a little more structure in front of him, I'd be all over Carter Hart. He hasn't had that in Philadelphia. And I think he's learned a lot of, you know, at times difficult lessons there. I think we've seen him adjust his game a little bit over the past year and a bit. And I think there's still a really good goalie there. I mean, is it at the level we were talking when he broke in and, and there was that sort of next carry price um, conversation that surrounded him, the next great Canadian goalie. Uh, he hasn't risen back to that level yet, but he certainly played at a level that's, you know, there's been enough there this year that if you need goaltending help and the price is reasonable, I'd investigate it. I think that you could, we've yet to see the best of Carter Hart consistently. And I believe we've seen enough signs of it, especially early this year, um, that you can trust it's still there. Uh, before we let you go, uh, we're we're, we're going to talk about the NHL awards here in just a minute. Is Sorokin making a late Vesna charge, or is this already done? Is this already Allmark's? I mean, unless Allmark really fades down the stretch here, and we've seen the Bruins take a bit of a dip. Uh, I know Swayman had a shutout the other night. Yeah, I have a tough time. Like UC Soros has passed Linus Allmark in terms of goals saved above expected by ClearSight Analytics, so Allmark no longer leads in that category. But in part, that's because he's not playing as much, and that's a cumulative stat. His adjusted save percentage, which is more of a sort of like, you know, doesn't have that cumulative effect, sort of a per 100 or, you know, you can break it down to a per 60. Like, you know, yeah, rate stat. There's the word I'm looking for, Vic. Um, Still number one in the National. Actually, I should say number two. He was passed recently by uh, Philip Gustafson, who, like, is having an incredible season in Minnesota. But I just, I just think that all those factors, like you look at the record, and yes, that's that's a team thing. But you look at the fact that his adjusted save percentage for most of this year was the only guy in the league above three um, amongst the starters. You look at the fact that you know he was still leading in goals saved above expected right until this last little while, even while playing. Like I think he has 500 fewer chances than UC Soros, um, and so to overcome that, just the, the quality he's given them, you add the goal. Um, the records he's broken or being close to, uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. And to be honest with you, I know for some reason the public numbers love uh, Sorokin even more, but if there's a guy that can knock him off that throne, I would have UC Soros ahead of Ilya Sorokin based on the numbers I have access to. Woodley, we appreciate it, man. Go watch yeah, some college basketball. Guys. Sorry to, yeah, exactly. Sorry to do this. Whole I was at American Hockey League morning skate, right? Like Massive. I'm out here working – Covering hockey, you guys are sitting there watching college basketball. Some of us got to work for a living, boys. Yeah, you're crushing it. That's why we uh, try to talk to you as much as we can. Okay, boys, thanks for having Cheers. me. Cheers. Uh, it's Kevin Woodley at Kevin is in goal NHL.com, in goal radio magazine, and the in goal radio podcast as well. So, look, it's going to be Linus Hallmark's award. Yeah, he scored a goal. Let's just give it to him. That's a win. If, if we're doing the D man. Who gets the most points is going to be the Norris winner. Let's just do the goalie who scores a goal is the Vesna winner. Let's just do Fair that. Enough. 
But here's my question. That's setting a dangerous precedent. <laughs> we just start seeing goalies going for it Colin all the time. Colin Delia has dangerous? two goals this year. <laughs> what? Colin Delia is joining the power play. He's got a league-worst save percentage, but damn it, he's got three goals. Colin Delia just hanging out at the red line, waiting to one He's up in the rush. <laughs> It's like goalies coming in in soccer for a quarter game. Yeah. yeah. But are, are the NHL awards going to be boring this year? Because it feels like it's going to be Linus Hallmark. Mm-hmm. We already know about um, Connor McDavid. He's the one in the heart. And the Art Ross. Obviously. And the Art Ross. And um, the uh, Richard. Yeah. And then the Selkie. Like, that's just going to Patrice Bergeron. Someone would have to be amazingly above expectations in a year to take it away from Bergeron. Any year. Not just mm-hmm. this year, but any year. So, yeah, Bergeron. At this stage, I'm assuming Jim Montgomery is winning Jack Adams. Yeah. If they if they lose less than 17 games, 16 games. If you're setting records, you, you get the Jack Adams. You, you really should win the Jack Adams. Because usually it's either historic levels of success – or we didn't think your team was any good, and we can't believe you made the playoffs. Yeah. And who is that candidate even this year to say nobody expected this? Like maybe Lindy Ruff, but like New Jersey has been a sexy underdog pick for a while. There were chance of fire Lindy, obviously earlier this year, mm-hmm. but the NHL awards have a real possibility of being kind of boring. Bruce Cassidy maybe, but it's like the Vegas Golden Knights. They've they've had some shine to them in some past. Yeah, it's uh the the one that maybe could be interesting is the uh, Calder, I guess. But even that's like limited interest because mm-hmm. it's really just Maddie Beneers, I would say. Uh, all right, we'll continue that conversation on the other side uh, later on in the show. You can chime in six fifty six fifty. We'll talk to Ty Dunn from Go Long TD NFL writer. Uh, he'll join us on the other side. Uh, Before we go, though, last chance to get Snoop Dogg tickets. High School Reunion Tour with Wiz Khalifa, Too Short, Warren G, and Burner featuring DJ Drama uh, coming to Rogers Arena. July 7th, tickets available now at Ticketmaster.ca. If you're caller number 5, Dom, are we doing 5? We're doing 5. We're doing 5 for Snoop Dogg tickets, 604-280-0650, 604-280-0650 for high school reunion tour tickets. Back with more, Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet, of the People Show here on the Home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Bick Nazar, Josh Elliott Wolf coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Do a little cleaning up here. Uh, big shout out to Blair for winning the pair of Snoop Dogg tickets. High school reunion tour, July seventh. 
at Rogers Arena. Tickets available at Ticketmaster.ca, Dom. It's also a good time to mention next week we're giving away Drake tickets all week. Let's go. Drizzy Drake. Uh, Those have been hard to get. Yeah. Two shows now, though. Yeah, so two might be shows. Easier. Second show added? Yeah. Yes. Huge. Uh, although I'm not uh, around next week here on the People Show. I, I, I'm all over the place next week. I don't think I'm here either. Ooh. We'll figure it out. Dom, you're hosting? Oh, I think so. Let's go. All right. So Dom will hook you up all next week. Uh, on the People Show for Drake tickets, that's huge. I'm telling you, we 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 need like skill testing questions or something on this show for these tickets because we are just nonstop with the the fire tickets hooking people up for the summer. Uh, all right, let's uh, get to a good conversation with Ty Dunn, founder of GoLongTD.com, NFL writer uh, who's got a great piece up on uh, GoLongTD.com about Aaron Rodgers. And Ty, welcome to the show. How are you? Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. It's, uh, I guess we could call him the gift that keeps on giving, but I think everybody's uh, a little sick and tired of Aaron Rodgers. It, it, it is a little, to... but but to be honest, like I keep thinking about it. It's it's weighing on my mind even when he's not in the news of, you know the <laughs> the whole saga of it, and and maybe part of it, like we'll get into it a little bit for, uh, further along too. I just don't think it's been that exciting of an NFL free agency period, and maybe that's why Aaron Rodgers keeps coming back into the news cycle. But to be honest, like I, I've been thinking more about the whole saga to get here, and then the interview he does with Pat McAfee, and you know, part of it is I, I just feel like there's this a little hypocrisy at times with with Aaron Rodgers, who wants things done a certain way, and then continues to incite the conversation and paints his version of the story rather than you know maybe what's actually happening. And, and it, it's this constant conundrum at times with Aaron Rodgers that we're going to go through the saga, and I think it's going to drag on for most of the summer as well. We're talking about him, which I – maybe that's his end goal. Maybe he enjoys seeing that that name of his and uh, that trending column on, on right. Twitter because it, it does seem like we just can't stop talking about him. The, the timeliness is pretty wild. I mean, you can go back two years ago when that first – uh, I, I guess this is probably the first domino that kind of started it all mm-hmm. when he made it clear he wasn't going to play for Green Bay again. Uh, draft day. You know, he knew that the nation's eyes were all watching Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and it kind of all started there, right? I mean, for four months he held the team hostage and made it clear he wasn't going to play for the team again. Eventually they beg and plead and convince him to return. Fast forward, here we are, and at least everybody is kind of on the same page. Nobody wants to be together at this point, and they're going to get there. Uh, how they get there, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, there's you know the financial ramifications of his contract. There's the compensation. Uh, Green Bay, I, I think Green Bay is in a good position here. Rodgers came out and said he intends to play for the Jets. Uh, they they want him. They don't really have any other options. He doesn't really have any other options. So. Maybe they let this drag on into the summer. We'll see if I'm Brian Gutekind, though. At some point, I'm thinking, goodness, I, I'm done. Like, enough, enough is enough. Let's just move forward with Jordan Love so we can get rid of this headache. Um, I, I don't know if they're at that breaking point yet to take less. Uh, I, they, they might as well try to get as much as they can because, let's face it, they should have traded him the last two off seasons. Well, that, like that's why I say hypocrisy because like the actions haven't necessarily followed the words. If the first you know slight was drafting Jordan Love, which I think we'd all understand, like yeah, that's a bit of a slight. They didn't invest in the team, didn't you know give the best chance to win, but they're also prepared for the future. If this was a problem, then like why are you begrudgingly hanging around for three years when you have enough power to be able to engineer your move? And by the way, like you signed a contract after 
Jordan Love was signed. You you could have taken control of this well before. Like, why is this now an issue? I think what changed, you know, he did win MVP. So I get it. As much as I thought they should have just traded him for three, four first round picks. I mean, if Russell Wilson is getting that sort of haul, what in the heck could have the, the league MVP have gotten? Um, I, I do understand why Green Bay would stick with an MVP. It would just be a hard sell to your, to your fan base. But at this point, I mean, after this past season, when he doesn't throw for 300 yards in a single game, when he doesn't have his legs underneath him because he blew off the offseason, really didn't work that hard, didn't really care about breaking in the three draft picks that they took at wide receiver. And they've got Patrick Mahomes flying everybody into Fort Worth and learning that Kansas City offense. It, whatever the opposite of that is, is what Aaron Rodgers did last year. I, I think it's just kind of clear all the way around that they've, they've got to go their separate ways. And then I, that's why I just don't buy anything he said on McAfee, where it's, I mean, at first it's 90% you're going to retire before the darkness and yet you're still hopeful that Green Bay wants you back. Never a good you sign. come out and you don't know where. Yeah, it's just, it's really hard to follow his logic. It kind of is this twisting, warping, contorting path that doesn't make much sense. So I, I think it's, they've all reached a point where it's best for everybody to kind of go their separate ways. And um, they shouldn't have gotten to this point, I guess, to answer your question, it probably they probably should have somebody should have spoke up at some point the last few years and been like, okay, you know, this isn't working out. Cause I think what it comes down to as much as, you know, it's all the theatrical dramatic stuff that we all talk about what well, green Bay should have looked at all along is this is somebody who is really damn good in the regular season and falls short in the playoffs. For one reason for another, it's the same story 12, 13 years in a row. Is that really worth, $50 million a year at 39 years old, um, you know, shame on the Packers for that contract. I mean, it was that's what kind of got him into this jam is, is giving him that deal after those MVPs when really you, you got away those playoff games more than anything. Do you think Aaron Rodgers with the Jets makes uh, New York more than just a playoff team? Like, can you see them actually going on a, on a Super Bowl run with how heavy the AFC is? You just nailed it. I, I look at the rest of the AFC, and I just don't see it. It's a really good roster. That Joe Douglas and Robert Sala have, have done such a good job kind of infusing every position around the quarterback with a lot of talent. It's, it's such a juxtaposition to be as terrible as they've been drafting quarterbacks, <laughs> yet you have all the other premier players you need to win in the NFL, Quinn Williams, Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson. I mean, they've got, they've got some studs. Uh, but you look around the AFC and I just like about seven other quarterbacks more than Aaron Rodgers at this point, And that if it gets into a, a shootout and offensive game, I'm not so sure he can keep up at this point. It's, you know, it, the, the big caveat being, if he gives a damn, right. If he goes into this off season wanting to work and wanting to, to get these younger players up to speed on the offense, it'll be his offense. I mean, Nate Hackett's there. He'll, he'll do everything he wants to do at the line of scrimmage, but you can't just show up day one at training camp, wave a magic wand, and start scoring 30 points a game. I mean, we, we just saw it in Green Bay. You, you've got to give a damn, and I don't know if he does. You know, at this point, is he, is he going to want to show up for OTAs and work and then physically take care of his body and, and do what's necessary, do what Tom Brady did the last five, six years of his career? Um, there, there's a reason Tom Brady is on one end of the spectrum 
breaking records into his 40s, and no, no other quarterback ever comes close. It's just it, it, you've got to just kind of ramp it up a notch. So that, that's why I have a hard time getting there in the AFC. I mean, they, they've got a good team, but I, I still think it comes down to the quarterback. And last season was just so painfully mediocre out of Aaron Rodgers. It, it's hard to just see a spike. As, as motivated as he'll be, he'll be motivated. He'll have an edge. I just have a hard time getting past the father time itself. And, like, that's why I wonder just how long this is going to play out because if we're worried about OTAs and all that sort of stuff, is he even going to be with the New York Jets by OTAs? Because, you know, the, the, the contract designation could play this out to June 1st. And at that stage, like, I feel like the Jets are going to get more and more desperate because if they go into training camp and he's still not there, uh, certainly that jacks up the price or the urgency, at least on their behalf, to meet the price. And I, I could see this playing out until August, maybe even September. Yeah, great, great. That's why I think Green Bay has a lot of power here. They can, they, it's a game of chicken. I mean, they can let this thing drag on if if they want. If they want to deal with the the cloud over their head for another off season like two years ago, and that was probably fairly maddening for Brian Gutekinds to deal with your quarterback making it clear that he wants you fired. Um, it's just it's just a headache. I mean, more than anything, you just. But if you want to deal with it you want to deal with the headlines day in and day out and everybody talking about you and Aaron Rodgers and all this and and he put the pressure back on you saying you're holding up the trade you're willing to do that you can let this thing kind of drag on until you get exactly what you want because I think all the Jets could really do is maybe make a play for Lamar Jackson which they're not going to I mean they the coaches that they've hired the personnel that they have they're not in position to just pivot to a Lamar Jackson type of scheme so they're, they're set up right now for Aaron Rodgers. Everybody knows they want Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay can say, all right, you know, we're, we're moving forward with Jordan Love. That's, that's our plan. Um, until you give, you know, just give us what you want, and we'll get this thing done. So they're, they're in a pretty good spot right now. Do you think uh, on Jordan Love, do you think he's ready to be the guy in Green Bay? I really do. I mean, that's definitely a hill I've, I've chosen to die on, I guess. But, like, these last three years, just being in touch with – Everybody around him, you know, his, his college teammates who still work with him, Steve Calhoun, his personal quarterbacks coach, Packer teammates who have kind of seen him develop one to two to year three. I mean, he is just taking just massive, massive strides. I mean, they saw it. If there's one huge positive, I guess, from Aaron Rodgers blowing up OTAs in the offseason, it's that Jordan Love was your QB1 in that setting, and they were pretty blown away right away with how different of a quarterback he was last offseason. Then you go to the preseason games, and you got to look beyond the numbers. If you actually watch those exhibition games, I think it was San Francisco, New Orleans, and Kansas City, he, he was lights out. I mean, some of those incompletions that he had and the way he was escaping the rush, it was like a young Aaron Rodgers. And that's how they kind of view him at this point. And then he finally got a shot against Philadelphia late in the season you know, with, with two drops. Um, his numbers were still unbelievable, looked great, hit that back foot, the ball's getting out, and he worked with the first-team offense the last two months of the season behind the scenes, even though Aaron Rodgers was playing in the game. So they know where he's at. They believe he's ready. He just needs to play games. He's done everything else. He knows Matt LaFleur's offense will actually run the offense. It's not going to be freestyling, freelancing, you know, dipping back into uh, an encyclopedia of, of audibles from five years ago. That's what made Aaron Rodgers so great but not so great when Devontae Adams ain't walking through that door. They're going to be able to run the offense that they want to run, and there's, some, there, there's a good nucleus there. You've got Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs. You can draft a tight end or a receiver. I, I think there's a lot to love, and 
and they're going to compete with Jordan Love. If he works out next year and is, you know, even just baseline competent, will teams look at this and say, hey, that sitting a QB and that development path, maybe not for three years like Jordan Love did, but that's the way we have to start approaching this, even if it's just a season, just to give QBs that gap year to go from college and pros and just understand how much work is required for the position. Will teams start to do that, or will the contractual pressures always just be get the young guy in early? I love that question so much because I'm right there with you. I, I think who cares about the PR hit that you're going to take from drafting a quarterback, right? I mean, I get it. Aaron Rodgers publicly dragged you through the muck. It's been really, really frustrating on so many fronts, but you did the right thing. You drafted a quarterback when you don't necessarily need a quarterback. What's what, the alternative? I mean, look at the Indianapolis Colts. They just keep signing all of these washed up, aging veterans year to year to year to year to the point now everybody knows they're going to draft a quarterback I mean they just signed Gardner Minshew and they signed him as a backup clearly so I mean you're you're telegraphing to the world what you're going to do and then that rookie's going to be playing right away I, I don't know I just think that why hang on to your your hall and I get that the Colts are a little different with Andrew Luck but the Steelers with Eli or the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger the Giants with Eli Manning so many teams kind of hang on to their quarterback a year, two years, sometimes even three years too long, and then you have to draft somebody, and then you're scrambling in free agency. By getting ahead of the curve, I, I think that, A, it's just, it's just smart team building and to try to kind of shift from one era to the next, but you're getting your quarterback ready. He's developing. There's no pressure. There's been no pressure on Jordan Love to play, really, outside of a couple spot starts, spot games. And I, that's a great thing for a quarterback to actually just learn and wait, and then when the time's right, put him in there. And, and I, I'm shocked that more teams don't do it. It's just Green Bay. I mean, they did it with Aaron Rodgers. Um, pretty much every other team, when they draft a quarterback in the first round, they stand at the podium and they say they don't want this guy to play anytime soon. That's why we signed Mike Glennon in free agency or whoever it was. And then you end up playing the rookie quarterback by week five. So just just do it when you absolutely do not need to draft a quarterback and genuinely let him wait. I, I think I think we will see more teams do this if this works out. Talking to Ty Dunn, founder of GoLongTD.com, NFL writer. Uh, so this NFL offseason, especially since free agency opened, uh, the Aaron Rodgers stuff aside, it kind of feels like it's been underwhelming uh, just as far as like true headlines. There's been a lot of great signings, like a lot of good fits for teams that make a lot of sense. But I don't know if we got the like the big marquee one. Is that just because the free agent pool wasn't was what we saw last year with Vaughn Miller going to Buffalo, and that's the big one that's like, hey, this is going to shift the conference shift the division it just feels like we haven't seen that this year yeah a lot of talent just didn't get to the market and I guess that's smart on the team's front of things to just lock up your best players find a way to to get deals done but it has been fairly lackluster Uh, maybe we should be thanking Aaron Rodgers it gives us all something to write about (laughs) and talk about because other than him there's not a lot Lamar Jackson isn't really seeing what he wants to see out there nobody's bringing him in on an offer sheet and making that interesting quite yet. I do like what the Bengals did, though. Orlando Brown, to get him at such a reasonable price, I could be wrong. I want to say he's like the 15th or 16th highest paid tackle, which he might be one of the five best in the game. We've seen how close this team is to winning a Super Bowl. Joe Burrow, all he needs is that extra split second to hang in the pocket, 
to read the field because arguably nobody reads the field better than him, but he's just not quite as mobile as these other guys. He just needs that split second. He might have that now with Orlando Brown. I mean, they can move Jonah Williams over to the right side. That line is going to be completely different because you just add this uh, Andre the Giant size tackle to the equation, and they know they have to pay Burrow at some point. They know they have to pay Jamar Chase at some point. So, yeah, you, you lose both of your safeties, Von Bell, Jesse Bates, I mean, they've been so instrumental in turning that defense around. But they, they planned for it. Dax Hill last year, they, they drafted a safety for that scenario. I, I love what the Bengals are doing here as they kind of uh, prepare themselves to give Joe Burrow the richest contract in the sport. Well, if you're going to do that, you might as well add one of the best offensive tackles in the game, and you might as well add him. You know, that's the best bang for buck as you'll find in free agency. Would you say the Bengals are, uh, are the winners of free agency so far then, or is there anyone else that you would uh, kind of put up there with them? I love the New York Giants and everything they did. I, I get it. We all kind of freaked out when we first saw Daniel Jones's contract, four years, $160 million. We now know it's not that. <laughs> they can get out after two years. And it's for, for, what, for what he did last season and where he's going with Brian Dable, the best offensive coach in football, to me, that's worth $40 mil in a year. I mean, he's not going to regress. He's only going to get better. This is such a complicated offense. All these receivers with all of their option routes and diverse passing concepts and one play kind of setting up the next. It's really hard to play in Brian Dayball's offense, let alone be the quarterback of it all. So you finally have some consistency there if you're Daniel Jones. And, and if you're Brian Dable, you know what you have in Daniel Jones. You know you made training camp hard. I, I had a source tell me, Last camp, I mean, he was given the plays to the defense just to make life hell for Daniel Jones and just to see how he'd deal with it in the New York market. He didn't complain. He passed, and he faced adversity in the season, and he played well. So now you give him Darren Waller. I mean, to, to get Darren Waller for the 100th overall pick is a steal. You bring back Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Isaiah Hodgins, Paris Campbell. I, I really like what they're doing on offense. I mean, Saquon Barkley for this year, He's worth $10 million bucks on that franchise tag. So uh, usually we kind of we mock and make fun of deals like that one to Daniel Jones. But I, I think we should really look at it as, like, why not keep a good thing going? And if you're Joe Shane, I give him so much credit to kind of put his ego aside and not chase his guy, his quarterback, right now because he's been dying for this chance to be a GM. You know, you've got a good thing going. Keep it going for a year, two years. And you know what? If a Patrick Mahomes kind of – catches your eye out of a Texas Tech, you still have the power to draft him. They, they can still draft a quarterback anytime they want. Hey, Ty, actually, uh, uh, before we let you go, uh, we'll try to get a scoop out of you. Where's uh, where's the, IK, the the Isaiah McKenzie show going? Oh, man. <laughs> it's a dark day here at GoLongTD.com. Oh, Isaiah was the best. Had such a great time doing that show. Um, yes, you're right. It won't be here in Buffalo. But I'm going to talk Isaiah into continuing the show remote wherever he goes. I don't know where he's going to go. We were texting a little bit. I'm sure his phone is blown up, so he's a little busy right now. But if I was a guessing betting man, hey, I know the Giants just brought back all these receivers, but they're familiar with this game. And I know he lives down there in South Florida, Miami, Mike McDaniel. He always likes a new wrinkle to his offense. Dolphins can make a lot of sense, too. But we haven't seen the last of Isaiah. He will be somewhere. It's always a great show, man. I always appreciate when you join us uh, again. Uh, founder at GoLongTD.com. If you're an, if you're an NFL fan, definitely want to subscribe to uh, read Ty's work. Ty, we appreciate it as always.
Hey, say thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation, fellas. Appreciate it. It's Ty Dunn. GoLongTD.com. And again, just writing about Aaron Rodgers on a busy week for A-Rod. A-Aaron. Yeah. As a Vikings fan, we were talking about Jordan Love there. Yeah. And he was comparing uh, him to when Aaron Rodgers stepped in after Brett Favre. I am so scared. Like I, it's, I don't it's think, more mystique, isn't it? Yeah, it's like the Packers mystique. It's like, yeah. what if they do this again? I don't think that Love is that guy, but what if he is? And then I'm just uh, we're stuck watching the Packers be good for another ten, fifteen years. It could be four decades of Favre to Rogers to Love. I don't want to talk about. And it. I'm not even talking like MVP level. Like, what if he's slightly worse than Dak Prescott? That's still unbelievable. Yeah, to, unbelievable to go from yes, like Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer to another elite quarterback. Obviously, like I don't think they would be as dominant throughout the stretch. Obviously, that still sucks but, though. That every like if you're a Vikings, Bears, or Lions fan, this is what you have to deal with for yeah. forty years. It's annoying. <laughs> it's, it's annoying. annoying. Uh, nothing. Just six fifty, six fifty. Dunbar Lumber text line. Dom, you are the best producer. You book fantastic guests from oh, Carry wow. On Main. I was gonna you read came it on the mic just to. Pat I was gonna read it. I didn't. On I was my just way. sitting here. He looked at me. You look like you're ready to talk. I'm listening. Oh, okay. Like, Frazier. Wait, wait. <laughs> Do you have some advice for us? Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is a good quarterback. Yeah. That's my advice. Uh, this one, uh, 650-650. I won't believe Rodgers to the Jets until he dons the uniform. And, and that's what – like, this is going to take a while. I really think this is going to take a while. I think that interview with McAfee, obviously he had to do it with free agency opening up and people want to know. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple of more and we get to, like, the Cristiano Ronaldo, Piers Morgan-style interview where oh, he's he's it. really like trying to force his You're way out. You're catastrophizing this so bad. Relax. No, no. It's like not at gonna some point to he's gonna try to do another interview. Uh, like like even like what he was talking about on Tuesday. He's like, oh, like the 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 front office structure has changed. All these guys left. It's like, well, yeah, they all got promoted to GM jobs across the league. That's how that works. There's a brain drain across the league. I don't know why you're surprised that John Schneider, Reggie McKenzie, all these guys left to other. He didn't say that as if he was Literally, surprised. the first thing he says was like, the front office has changed. Yeah. All these guys have left. It's like, well, it was 16 years ago. His point what is did that you think? he has no allegiances to the current management group. You already really didn't come like, off like that. You already seem tired of the Rodgers drama. And he's no, not, not even a Jets quarterback. Not yeah. I'm tired. 100%. I'm tired of this anti-Rodgers discourse that's going on. And y'all make Because he's your seem- guy. And y'all make it seem like you should put sunglasses on and be like, like this is that's gonna my quarterback. drag out <laughs> and the Jets are gonna be held hostage. The Packers don't want this drama themselves. But who's who's better set up? The Packers being able to with, withstand the drama or the Jets' desperation to acquire them? Bick, if Rogers Aaron Rodgers shows up to Packers training camp, what's that gonna do for the the Green Bay Packers? They'll have no problem. It's not gonna be good with yeah. it. They'll just be like Jordan Love. You're taking QB one snaps. This is fine. Yeah. The Houston Texans dealt and with then, it with Deshaun Watson. And then I think everyone's the going to have – Everyone's – and how that worked out for them. Not well. They got multiple first-round picks. Their team is crap. For now. Yeah, for now. Yeah, that, that, but, like – That cloud shrouded they, over th- that team for how long? They just made them play punt return. Nah, man. And defense. Nah, man. This is not good. Uh, this Packers. one, Rodgers is a Hall of Fame-level gaslighter. <laughs> I mean, he is. Uh, 650, 650. All right. On the other side – 
I'll wrap up the show leading into Canuck Central. Satyar Shaw, Dan Riccio on the way. Uh, what's coming up on uh, Canuck Central? Mailbag and Yannick? Mailbag, Yannick, Carmen Dial. There we go. Uh, and we'll do another NCAA update. Uh, Corey the Carpenter, big fan of the uh, the drop you guys used. Texting in multiple times. The SNL one? Yeah, I guess, I guess we'll have to break that out for the, the next uh, NCAA update. As March Madness continues, and we'll wrap up the show. Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.